This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's now time for our interview specials. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of football. Sit back and listen up. It's time for the main event with the Phoenix Five and a 90s football icon. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hi guys and welcome to this week's episode of the Phoenix Five Show interview special. This week we're joined by the Premier League's first ever goal scorer, Mr. Brian Dean. Now stands the clock at five to three. In the Sheffield United lineup, is the face still here? Brian Dean, who has just signed a new two-year contract. And Dean scores! Four minutes and 36 seconds when the ball went into the net. A long throw, no marking on Dean. And Sheffield United had the start they were looking for. Thanks for joining us, joining us um, this evening. Um, I know my uh, Zoom thing says Becky, but my name's actually Dave. <laughs> I use my missus' uh, Zoom call. But uh, I'd like to jump in about, um, I'm quite interested in your first football memories, i.e. your first World Cup you watched, plays you idolised, and what actually got you into football? What's, what started, started you off playing football, mate? First World Cup um, was really the first World Cup where I knew what was going on was the 1978 World Cup in Argentina. Um you know, they had, uh, you know, they had a fabulous side. They used to wear all the, uh, the kit was amazing. And um, they had all the old sort of like, you know, big curly hair, Alberto Tarantino. The perms, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Lucas, Kempes, Pazarella, Philol was the goalkeeper. Um, Bert, Bertoni, all of these guys. Um so that was the first, and it was a ticker tape um, 
you know, whenever they came out and all of that. So that was my yeah. first real kind of um, memory of a World Cup. And I, and I, was it was it was it Hugh John? The, the commentators then were brilliant. Um, and it and it was I'll I'll never forget. You know, whenever I can see the um, actual footage in my mind, you know, I straight away think of the I, I, was it Hugh John? He was good as well. But, it rings uh, a bell, yeah. Back in '78, I think you might yeah, be right, Brian. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was a marvelous World Cup. You know, they had the uh, Kubias who played for Peru. You know, he scored the goal um, against uh, Scotland. I think they beat Scotland. Um, you know, it, it was just um, it was wonderful. And then they had mm. the, the Brazil side. Um, so yeah, that was that was my first memory. Um, my, I suppose, you know, the one where I, I kind of got really emotional was the 82 World Cup because that Brazil side was probably my favourite team of all time. That was so in Spain, had, wasn't it? Sorry, that was in, it was in, in Spain. Spain. Yeah. They had, um, it was, you know, they had, um, I can't remember who the goalie was, but they had, they had um, Tafarel Junior, um, you know, you had Leandro, Socrates, Zico, Eder, mm. now you're Zinio, talking. Yeah. Um, what a team, man! Um, so that's yeah. that was when I kind of fell in love with um, you know, what I had this dream of being a professional footballer, and it was, I think it started like I say in the 1978 World Cup. I got me my, after the World Cup, I got some Puma World Cup season Minotti's, who was the manager at the time. Yeah, and it was just it was just magical, you know. I was I was very fortunate. I had an older brother who left to go in the navy, but he always used to look out for me and so on. So, mm. yeah, wonderful times. Hey, you started at Doncaster and you scored eighty two goals, um, but the club were relegated, and you quickly moved on to Sheffield United for a, a fee of twenty five thousand. Um, yeah, but how did that move come around, and how did you find yourself? Was it quite an easy yes decision? Billy Bremner left to go to Leeds, and Dave Cusack was the manager. And he gave me my first contract and brought me into the first team. Um, so yeah, that that was my first memory, first professional um, contract. I actually wrote down to Doncaster um, for a trial, and I was fortunate that the um, the chief scout had been at Leeds when I was a kid and uh, accepted my letter, and took me down there, and I went down there. And I, I just really fitted in. It was I just must have got there just at the right time. Um, so and, and yeah, it just went from there really. Um, so I made my debut when I was seventeen. Um, you know, and 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 I think you know I kind of was part of the first team set up for the for the kind of for the next season because I played in the intermediates. Northern Intermediate League, they used to call it. Um, people like Gaza and and quite a few other people came through, um, you know, the Intermediate League. It was a really tough league, actually, under-18 league, but it had teams like Newcastle, Sunderland, uh, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds, um, you know, really big clubs in sort of like the north mm. in, in encapsulated sort of like what used to be North Yorkshire plus the 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 Middlesbrough Sunderland but also all those teams in and around Yorkshire it was it was a really tough league and a lot of players came through that um but yeah I, I got into the first team and um 
difficult time because I was only 18, 19. Um, but then, you know, I managed to I managed to find my feet in my final season there. We we got relegated, but I managed to score um 10 goals. At the end of the season, they offered me a contract which I turned down because I I, I don't think it would have been a, a, a good marriage staying under the management of Dave Mackay anymore. We we just you know it was just one of those where you I kind of felt undervalued and um, mm. Dave Cusack helped me to um, make the connection with Sheffield United and um, it kind of went from there. In those days, in those days, you kind of, um, it wasn't so much about how you have the system now where nobody escapes through the net. You know, I'd broken my leg at 16 and, and when I um, recovered from that, the first thing I did was write down for a trial. Um, a couple of my friends had got... Um, apprenticeship contracts at Leeds United I didn't get one um, and I thought I'd give it one more try and yeah that's where the uh, the whole Doncaster thing came in and you know really grateful I had a brilliant time there learned a lot about myself um, stayed in digs for the first time um, yeah no it was wonderful wonderful time about the digs, I mean, we've spoken to a few other players uh, and they've all come through different paths. Some have come through right into clubs and getting trials. Some have gone through the YTS system. Now, obviously, it's academy. Yeah. Do you, do you, would you like to yeah. see it have stayed in the way it was before in terms of your digs, you know, cleaning the boots? The, the, the evolution now is the young kids in the game of there's no, um, what's the word, paying your dues, so to speak. Look, I mean, I think you, you, you don't, I think the kids now, it's very difficult to pick up what their character is, you know. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that if I'd have um, if I'd done an apprenticeship, I might not have made it. You know, I might have found some of that side of it very tough. You know, I, for, the way it worked for me worked perfectly well. I don't know. Somebody up there likes me, I think. But <laughs> I kind of came in at 17 and I signed a professional contract. And, um, you know, it kind of... You know, if I'd have been an apprentice and had to stay till five, I don't know how I'd have coped with that. But um, but definitely, um, I think that it doesn't do any harm. Uh, I remember, I can't remember which club I was at, but they said, oh, I remember being a professional and then hearing somebody say, oh, no, the kids don't do any boots. They don't do any of that now. And I thought, why not? What harm is it doing? You know, we've, we've totally changed. And um, I think we're reaping a little bit of what we saw. Um, you look at the way how the game's going now, you know, everybody wants it now, you know, everybody wants, you know, everybody wants to be a, um, you know, wants a Lamborghini at 21, mm. you know, so yeah, everybody knows who, you know, everybody's got an answer. Trying to run before they can walk, Dean, is that what you're saying? Brian, yeah. Brian Dean, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, Schoolboy error. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> your first season, the, uh, the Premier League comes in, obviously, in, in 92, which is quite pivotal for your, not for your career necessarily, but the changes in the game yeah. from 92, uh, from prior to that. What did you make of it? Did you have much of a excitement about it? Because you knew money was coming or the exposure was going to be greater? I think we were just getting on with it. I mean, we're at a crossroads again now, but it was so different then, you know, the, the kind of the way how it changed um, was like you know we we were we were in the game for the love of it. I know that I don't want to 
make that sound as though people don't love the game now, but it was different. You know, we didn't have any aspirations of becoming very wealthy when we came into football. It was just a case of doing something you loved for as long as you wanted to. Um, now you actually get the um, the rewards very quickly. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, really. Um, but, yeah, it's... I don't know, it's... You know, things things have changed. Um, back then, you know, looking at looking at the kind of razzmatazz and everything it was brilliant. You know, we knew that instead of getting like ten minutes or so on um, on a highlights program like Match of the Day, we were going to be seen. You know, you know, they were going to actually produce live games. There was also going to be a lot of um, footage built around the games and around the characters and so on. So, yeah, it, you then become a lot more marketable. Um, so it was it was great for everybody. We became, I wouldn't say household names overnight, but all of a sudden, it's not like now, you know, because, you know, <laughs> it's funny, you know, like you can anybody can do a a, a, a clips reel now and look like a, a trillion dollar player. You know, whereas I remember I had to put my clips together one time and I, had, I was converting it from VHS to DVD and I had to go to a studio to do it. I mean, people do that on YouTube now, you know, and put it all together. And, it, you know, it's so, you know, things have changed and um, that kind of branding has, has really kind of rocketed people's uh, stature. Sometimes I, you know, I, I say now that the, the the packaging is better than the product. And in first in the Premier League, obviously you um, helped the club finish 14th, uh, and you also won the first player to score a hat trick in the Premiership, um, scoring three goals against Ipswich. What was that like? Is the because obviously you'd have been the match of the day would have been massive. Then you'd have had a hat trick, loads of airtime. What what was your memories of that game? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we kind of again, you know the. Back then, you know, you were competing against, not only were you wanting to win games, but you were competing against players like Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, you know, David Hurst, um, you know, Les Ferdinand, all of these guys who were um, top, top players and you wanted to be the top dog. And so you're kind of, if you're scoring goals, you're looking to see who scored. Um, a lot different to now, I think. You know, there was a there was a real respect, but there was also a kind of, you know, you you wanted to be the top dog. You you know you want you know it meant a lot more to be picked for your country because there was such a a, a depth of, of of talent. You know, for for the for 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 the selection. Um, you know, the national team coach to to choose mm. from then. So when you got in there, you knew that you were top of the tree. Yeah. I'm glad you've mentioned about the, the national side, Brian. I wanted to ask you, around about that time, I think 91, 92, um, I had a look in and you, you made three appearances for England, didn't you, under Graham Taylor? Um, I wanted yeah. to know, because um, you didn't make the squad for Euro 92, what was your relationship with Taylor? Did he give you any inkling that you might take you? Because I look, had a look at the squad. There was only four strikers that they took, uh, Graham Taylor took back then. So he picked you for three games, I think. So, yeah, what... What was the whole impression you got under Graham Taylor at England? No, he was fine. Listen, he was he was fine. You know, I mean, he's a very honest man, very honourable. Um, and you know, if he didn't pick me, then you know, he obviously felt that um, there were better players to pick 
than me at the time for whatever reason. He had enough mm. time to look at me. I think that part of my issue back then was I wasn't very confident. You know, I okay. came from a, I came from Sheffield United, and everybody's come from Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool, and places like that. So I had a bit of an inferiority complex, which is quite foolish of me. But you can only know that with time and looking back. Um, but yeah, no. Look, he picked what he felt was the best players, and and I accept that. Well, you, you mentioned that you moved on to Leeds. Howard Wilkinson came in for you at Leeds to sign you. Um, I understand that Trevor Francis also tried to bring you to Sheffield Wednesday and actually offered more money either to you or to the club. Is, is there any truth in that? Yeah, no, it's true. I did meet Trevor, but I, I didn't really, I didn't feel it was viable, and and I wouldn't disrespect. Um, I wouldn't disrespect Sheffield United by going to their closest rivals either. It just wasn't on. Whether or not Iris, you know, I, I've got no axe to grind with Sheffield Wednesday, but I just wouldn't do it. You know, that's just me. You know, I've seen other people do it, but it just wouldn't have been a viable option for me. And um, I had too much respect for Sheffield United to, to go and play for their local rivals. It would just wouldn't have worked for me. Loyalty there. Sorry, Paul. Loyalty there, Brian. Don't see that very often these days, mate. So you you well, said it changed, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you say not to play for Sheffield United, um, Sheffield Wednesday, sorry, and because you had played for Sheffield United, I mean, it wouldn't yeah. bother a lot of people in this day and age. I don't think you know. Obviously, when you've got money, um, the amount of money that's flashed about, it doesn't really matter. But for you to say you respect Sheffield United that much, that's um, I like that. I like to hear that. It's, that's that's really nice. Yeah. Well, things have changed, you know. Um, you know, if you look across society, and things are a lot different now. And, um, you know, whereas things were a priority then, you know, everything, a lot of things have changed to 180 degrees. So, you know, in, in honesty, you know, that's that was how I was brought up, you know. Um, and, you know, I, you know I, I'd like to think that I was a... Um, you know, product of my parents and and the mor and the integrity and the and the morals that they had. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's you know. But look, different ages, different times, call for different outcomes as well. Yeah. You mentioned that that Leeds you struggled to settle in when you first got there. I mean, because you came in for record fee at the time. Yeah. How was that to deal with? I think this. I think did you not over try? I'm trying to think the word best play. You coming in for record fee? To, it wasn't. It wasn't anything to do with the fee. I mean, obviously, as a as a goal scorer, if you if you're not scoring regularly, it's going to affect your confidence. But we played a different style of football. You know, when I was at Sheffield United, we played very much. I was playing on the shoulder of of defenders, whereas when I was at Leeds, I was playing with my back to goal, and um, it's a totally different type of game. You know, if I'm in a foot race with somebody in in when I was at Sheffield United, I was you know, I, I was going towards the goal and I'm taking people on, you know, whereas when I was, when I went to Leeds, I was, I was being used as a setup player, a little bit mm. like I, I replaced Lee Chapman. And I think that, you know, that wasn't my game. You know, I wasn't, at that point, I wasn't somebody who would just want to spin out to the back post when the ball was wide or, you know, I thought I had a lot more, well, I did have a lot more to my game than that. And, and it involved getting the ball to my feet, taking players on. Look, I wouldn't have got anywhere near the the England team, um, and I wouldn't have scored all them goals if 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 that's all I did. Because yeah. when we were at Sheffield United, we didn't have the players who could 
drive us forward from, from the midfield area. We weren't really a very creative team. And that was simply down to what we could afford to do. And we were playing to everybody's strengths. Thank you. OK. Um, Leeds finished fifth um, two years in a row. Um, Tony Yaboa comes in and you had Rod, Rod Wallace as well. Um, how did you feel about Tony Yaboa coming in? Because he, had, he came from Germany, I think, with a decent reputation. And we all know about his goals and that. So, yeah, how did you feel about Yaboa coming in? Perfect. You know, it's... I think when you kind of, you know, it's like when I went to Middlesbrough, you know, they brought in Alan Boxic and, um, and I'm not somebody to kind of sulk about things like that. I was glad to see Tony at the club and we worked well together. You know, it's, it's funny because when Tony, I did my, um, on, there was a programme, fan, one, one to 11, fantasy football show. Yeah. And, um, you know, they asked me what my, my first 11 was and I picked Tony and, when Tony did his, he picked me as well. And that's, okay. you know, so there was that mutual respect. We enjoyed playing for each other. And he said some nice words. And and obviously what people don't realise is, is that when you're playing up front with somebody like Tony and he's scoring goals, it's taking the pressure off you and it's allowing you to find your game. And yeah. um, that, that was, um, you know, but not just that, just him as a person as well. Brilliant to, to be around and play with. Yeah. Great. We interviewed Kevin Pressman as a goalkeeper um, and we always said like how isolated as a goalkeeper's union and how they work together. It's very much you're isolating you on your own. I, I, I kind of compared it then a bit to strikers because a defence and a midfield have, have a team around them. And I know a strike, you have a strike partnership, but you are, as you said earlier on, you don't score the goals back in the day. You, you get chucked to reserves or you push to one side. What was that like with every game, that pressure being on having to mentally have to be on it and score goals or you're all replaced? It's tough, you know, especially like I mentioned, the, the contract situation, because, you know, at that point, you're always playing for your next contract. It's not like now where you signed a two, three year deal and that's, you know, you're talking about, you know, somebody might be 30, 40, 50 grand a week. It was a lot different then. Um, but it kept you hungry. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was a lot of stress. And I think man management in them days was a lot different as well. Um, you know the the coaches. There wasn't a, it wasn't a case of um, of 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 having that understanding from the coaches. It was if you weren't on your game, they would um, they'd be looking beyond you. So uh, you know you had to kind of become more resilient yourself. How was Howard Wilkinson as a manager then? Did you find, did you get on with him? Was there any, did you, if you dropped for a game, did you go and pull him to one side or, or did you kind of just try and try hard the next game? Look, it, it's difficult. You know, I mean, I, I found myself in situations. There was one situation which, you know, really kind of summed up what happened and it was when we played, um, it was a week before the cup final we played against Villa and um, I, we played, Everton on the Saturday and I remember Howard coming to me and saying you know like he hadn't picked the team but um, you know he just looking for a good game from me and he was going to you know that would cement my place and uh, I got man of the match it was a game on television against Everton we drew to all we played a weakened team we drew to all I got both the goals and um, came in the changing rooms and he wouldn't look at me and I knew then that I wasn't going to be playing so you know, that was, you know, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just think, 
there wasn't a lot I could do. And, and like I said, things were different then. So it's not like now where you have the, you know, you, you get the outcry and the, and, and the social media and everything, you know, it was all, you know, you, in those days, the journalists would write, you know, they'd stick to the, the kind of narrative that the manager wanted. So it's not like any, anybody was going to oppose what, you know, for example, that situation, you know, I knew it. I knew from the day, from the time I came in on that Sunday into the changing rooms, having with a bottle of champagne, because we used to get the Barclays yeah. bottle of champagne, the Magnum. And um, I came in and, uh, you know, went around and I remember him looking at me and kind of looking through me and I thought, here we go, you know. So, uh, and we lost, you know, I was on the bench and, to be honest, I, I don't have, for me, that game just, you know, I'm just like, you know, what you reap, what you sow, really. Um, so I didn't have any real sympathy with the criticism he got because I, you know, I, I felt I should have been playing. And, um, you know, you, you live and die by your decisions in, in the game. And that nobody understood that decision. And, and I... It, it was one of those where it didn't affect my confidence because I knew I could look anybody in the face because I'd scored two goals in the previous week against Everton. So, you know, for me, I was I was fine with it. I could live with myself. OK. You, you the, At that stage as well, you started getting, a, a, as a the non-British players, foreign players coming over, being signed into the club like you're turning your bow and other players. How do you find, other players you've spoken to have said that the dressing room's there was a definite change from the drinking culture into the more um, separate groups because you would have team bonding sessions and half of them would just wouldn't turn up for it because it's not what they want to do, like paintballing or something like that. How did you find the dressing room change? Did you Was it for the better or for the worse? Or how did you impacted by it? And we were fine. I mean, we, we were very professional. I mean, all the way through, I mean, at Leeds, we, sorry, at Sheffield United, we, were, we, we had those bonding sessions, but we also worked very hard you know um because we had to in in order to be able to compete with the with the other teams when i went to leeds it was definitely more professional but we were we we had a team of athletes and um you know if we had a night out it was always well planned um but we we were all you know we were very professional as individuals as well i mean we all used to you know i i i Sort of like I, I used to go down to Don Valley on my own and I had a personal trainer I used to see on Tuesdays and um, Thursdays and we'd work together. And then by the end of that season, um, we, we'd work together Tuesdays and Thursdays, four till six. And then by the end of that season, you know, about 10 of the players were coming down because nobody used to do strength and conditioning and nutrition work back then. So we we took it upon ourselves as a group to go down, and um, you know we we reap the benefits. Continue on the the foreign players, um, Brian. Um, at that time you was at Leeds. Um, Leeds brought in Thomas Brolin. Um, yeah. I I remember from old um, before we had YouTube and all the social media etc. A lot of pick football fans like myself they knew of Thomas Brolin, seen him play for Sweden Euro '92. Um, he was even better for Parma. But yeah. I'd just like to ask you what happened to him because he came to Leeds with his massive reputation, probably one of the best foreigners at that time to come to play in the Premier League. And it just didn't happen. He just looked overweight. And I mean, what what was it? What what happened to him, you know? I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think his relationship with um, Howard was great. 
Um, but we, look, we all had our issues, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, Thomas just didn't fit in. I think maybe the mm. pace of the game over here at that time perhaps wasn't suited to his game. Although, you know, in Italy it was, you know, they, they had a, they were, they were, they were similar in, in terms of how they, um, how they were. Mm. You know, so uh, I don't know. It was a strange one. Lovely guy um, and, and very, very talented. You know, you've seen him at the top yeah. level that, you know, and then he came to our place and it just didn't happen. Maybe he just wasn't um, happy. Yeah. You know, so. 96, 97, George Graham comes in. Um, did you and him have a good relationship? I think so. I mean, George was a, um, George was an interesting character. Um his psychology was big part of him. He's a he's a very good tactical coach in terms of defensively and so on. Um, but yeah, no, he he was a very hands off type person. He didn't want anybody close to him. He didn't have favourites, which suited me. You know, I think we'd had a few few of the boys that had a different relationship with the manager before, and um, when he came in, we we kind of. We realized that we had to um we realized that we had to kind of um you know toe the line as it were you know otherwise you would be out with him um you know but um he was good he was good to play for um you know although you know because we played such a defensive sack you know he came in he took over from Howard and he steadied the ship um and then he built well I got to the end of that season and then I was leaving anyways. So, you know, um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good sort of like time, but I was also glad to leave, you know. What, why was you, your choice to leave at that stage as well, I believe. Is that yeah. correct? Why was that? Was it just felt you had enough at the time or was it the manager or was it kind of you, what you felt? Was, the uh, well, they made me a contract offer, but I don't think it was, it, I couldn't sign that. You know, a start of respect for myself, and I was disappointed with the way how they'd gone about it. It was quite disrespectful, and I think mm. that because they thought that I was a Leeds lad, that I just kind of signed and wanted to stay. But you know, it, it's you know, it, like I say, very kind of. If that's what they thought I was worth, fine. But I wasn't going to be staying. You know, I knew I had, I could have gone elsewhere, so that's what I did. Did yeah. you have agents at the time, or was you? Was I had you, an agent, but you know, if I, ha- I did have an agent uh, based in Nottingham. But if I look back, um, you know, I'm 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 very like that with with agents. You know, I think there are some good agents, but if I look back, he was one that, you know, you, you look back at certain things and they weren't right, and he had a lot of clients. Um, and 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 I see things happening now with 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 um, with players and agents, and it's no different. You know, you know they're always. He was always kind of trying, you know, skimming and so on. You know, um, just not very honest. Dodgy but, agent, Brian. Eh? Just out of his, he was well, a dodgy yeah, agent. I mean, well, I think <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, I think a lot of them were back then. It was a little bit like the Wild West, mm. and um, you know, he was. He was like that, you know, it's only when you look back afterwards and you can see certain things, you know, it's very much, um, you know, players are very vulnerable and that's what people don't realise. 
You know, they, 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 they put a lot of trust in their agents. Sometimes it's a good thing. A lot of the times it's not. But what they don't realise is a lot of the time the agents are kind of are working for themselves. They've been given this opportunity to make money for their clients, but they're going to earn money as well. They yeah. never think of the... It's very rare that an agent will think of of his client before himself and what's in it for him. And I'm, that's just, I'm just being honest. If, if any agent wants to take that out with me, come and see me. And, and, and as your man would say, bring your dinner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's interesting because I think the agents, you're absolutely right. I mean, you had Monster Monster Eric Hall, obviously, back in the day, um, who yeah. was a vocal agent. And now the problem is with agents, if you look at the, the higher level, is they're not just working for a player. They're working for the club for the player and and the, the club's manager. There's no separating. Lots of conflicts of interest oh. all over the place. That's what I'm looking yeah, for. I, I, had, I mean, my guy was, you know, he was, he was very cute, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but let's just say it was, it was very cute all around. Graham, I'll hand next one to you, buddy. Yeah, okay. So um, 1998, you signed for Benfica. So you left one Scotsman in George Graham to go, um, to sign for Graham Sooners, another Scotsman. Um, I'm intrigued by this because I, I used to love the British player going and playing abroad. And you went to Portugal and it was not something we really saw in the UK, especially not on television. Um, what was it like? Going, I mean, how did that move come about? And what was it like playing in Portugal? I mean, you play for Benfica, the one of the top three sides still today, you know. it's I find it amazing. What's your story with Benfica? Well, it's just simply that the opportunity came up and... Um... I, um, you know, I took it. I, I always wanted to play abroad. I had another opportunity before then to go to Holland. And um, again, that wasn't right for me. But when I went to Benfica, it was it was definitely a kind of a test of, you know, it, I was testing myself. Um, yeah. But it, it was it was great. I think when I got out there, I think really I looked at the situation and I thought, geez, is, you know, is this too big an opportunity? Is this too big for me? And then it was a case of um, sink or swim, settle in, score some good goals. You did, I yeah. At, yeah. I, I really didn't want to come back, but there was a okay. lot of things going on at the club as well. So mm -hmm. um, it, it, was, it was time for me to come back. I must admit, I did have a look um, today. You scored, um, for the listeners as well, and... Everybody's listening. You've got to go onto YouTube. Uh, Brian Deeney scores. Fantastic. I've watched it about five or six times uh, already. Uh, he's playing for Benfica, obviously, against Porto. Um, you had uh, you had plays as well, decent plays at the time. Kalba Borski and um, Nika Panduru, who was part of the Romania's golden generation. Um, yeah, he flicked uh, the ball on the outside of your boot, yeah. done the half turns, and volleyed it into the top bins against Porto of all teams. Yeah. Listeners, you've got to watch that goal. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So as you do against Porto, I mean, and you looked, well, you, you did look chuffed. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah. You did score yeah, some no, good goals, you know. It was good times. And, you know, we had some good players. Like you say, Nuno Gomez was my strike partner up front. Yes, um, yes. You know, we had uh, Michel Prudhomme in goals. Um, some other, Paulo Madeira, Portuguese international. You know, we had plenty of Portuguese internationals. We had Erwin Sanchez, who was Bolivian uh you know, Bolivian international went on mm -hmm. to manage the national team there. 
We had, Scott Minto uh, was there, sorry. Scott Minto was there before you came, Scott, wasn't he? Yeah, Scott Minto, Scotty was there. Jao Pinto. Jao Pinto, um, yeah. There was, um, Chini Cobble was a Russian, Russian national goalkeeper as well. Okay. Some very, some very good players there. What was the dressing room like? An English dressing room against a Portuguese dressing room. Was there a massive difference in culture? Um, the, the guys made us feel welcome. I mean, I think it's slightly different in that you have to earn the respect over there. I think we have a lot of players who come over and we just welcome them here. But, you know, it was a little bit different over there. You know, they, they, they're all quite sceptical about you until they see what you can do. What about the smoking culture? Was there much of a smoking smoking culture in in the dressing room? There was a there was a few people who smoked in the um, <laughs> car park. Um, no no one at half time, no. No, no, no. Which was quite funny. After training, some of them would nip away for a cheeky fag. Why also no? I've got I've had some um, teammates who have uh, you know been like that when I was when I was at Leicester, for example. So that was quite funny. Oh, well, what was Sunez like to work under? You worked under some great managers. I mean, Sunez, Wil- well, I don't know, Wilkinson, maybe not, but Sunez and, and George Graham. Did Sunez out there, was he speaking Portuguese or was it still very much in, in, an interpreter? No, I mean, they all speak English. You know, um, a lot of the, you'll see with the, with the Portuguese players, they they all speak good English and it was it was an easy place to settle from that point of view. Um, yeah, it, it was it, there was no issues like that. It was a brilliant place to be, you know, right on the right on the coast. Um, fantastic, really was. Managers, I've read a few interviews you've done and talking about British managers managing abroad, which was more common back then than it is now. Um, you referred to it as kind of the awareness of going outside of their remit was more narrow, whereas now, obviously, there's a lot more out there. Why do you think British managers don't go abroad anymore? Um, because everything's here, isn't it? Nobody wants to test themselves. Um, you know, it, we're very insular here. And, look, I had to go abroad because I wasn't getting an opportunity here. You know, so uh, that's the first thing. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to see if it was something that I could do. So that's why I went and did it. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think we, we, we've created a very comfortable situation here. And, um, you know, perhaps that's the reason why we don't produce more rounded coaches, because we don't go and sample another culture. Or we don't bring back experiences of dealing with players in different ways. Um, tactics and, and all the rest of it, you know, we, we're very much kind of, the, 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 the budget is here. That's why people don't travel, you know. It's, it's a shame. You, yeah. I was going to say, um, do you wish you could have stayed at Benfica a lot longer? Because you seem to, where you're talking, you really enjoyed it there. Obviously, you had the climate and whatnot as well. Yeah, obviously, it was massive I help. And, you know, yeah. I did, if I'm honest, I wanted to stay out longer, but I think there were some things happening at the club and you know, I, I, I'd grown tired of it and uh, I was, you know, the, an offer came in and I thought I want to go. You know, mm. it was some of the issues outweighed um, some of the great things that happened out there. And um, it's not like something I want to go on and, and, and bring up or whatever. I just know that yeah. 
you know, I, I kind of, I would have liked to have stayed abroad. I would have liked to have gone to Spain, you know, maybe France at the time, you know, if, it, if the right clubs were there, but it didn't happen. And, you know, in the end, I was happy to come back as well. We okay. went to Middlesbrough and we spoke to Robbie Musto, who, who told us <laughs> how crazy that period of Middlesbrough was with uh, Brian Robson and Ravinelli coming in, Janino and the changes there. What did you find? How did you find the borough dressing room when you, when you was there? And the, 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 it was great. It was. I mean, I was there same time as Robbie. We had a good time. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was fine. It was. You know, we we got some real. Um, we had some real characters. You know, obviously Gaza was there. Um, Gary Pallister. You know, Christian Zieger, Janino, um, Hamilton, Ricard. You know, lots of lots of very. You know, we we just at times we just didn't gel. As a, as a team, but all the guys there were brilliant guys, you know. Um, so uh, I haven't, I've got nothing but fond memories about Middlesbrough. What was Gaza like as to play with? Because um, Roy Musto told us he was just mad as a hatter. Did you experience that with him as well? I think that's probably a good description. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, if I look back, it was... You know, it was quite haunted by the whole thing. Uh, and it was, you know, watching it all unfold was, it was difficult at times. Um, you know, because you could see this guy who was extremely talented player, but was quite flawed in other ways as well. Um, you know, I don't think it's wrong for me to say that. It just was how it was. And um, it's a real shame because he could have been, you know, right up there with a lot of other players, but... Mm. It was just, he struggled to, um, you know, he really struggled at times. Is there anyone there you didn't get on with in any of the clubs? You sound like you, you kind of quite... Uh, well, you, you well there was one person, but I'm not going to talk about him. So. <laughs> there was somebody who I, who I always felt it was... It was a real weird one because there were times where with this person where I just thought it could kick off any time. I didn't know why, but in the end, I thought, okay, if that's going to happen, then that I won't be stopping. You know what I mean? It mm. was, I couldn't understand why this person was a certain way, but um, I always remember there was an incident in training and um, I managed to refrain myself from, but that's the thing you see, if you go down that road and something happens, you don't know what the end result's going to be. But, um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't really many people I didn't get on with. But I think, you know, when you don't get on with somebody and there's the, the, the only other time I, <clears throat> I've had a similar relationship when I went into management with somebody and there's just a vibe in the room where you just can see that it's like opposites, poles, pole, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I look back now, I would have probably dealt with it a little bit differently, not as calmly. but. Um, I didn't know what the consequence might have been. Yeah, at that time, yeah. So, was, you, okay. was you younger at that stage, or is it this later on in your career? Well, I was, I was in, I was thirty odd. I was just coming up to thirty, I think, thirty, thirty-one. Do you think you would have dealt with it differently if you was younger? If, if this same person you had a clash with, do you think you would handle it differently? It's, it's difficult to say because I, I don't know. You know, if I, I would have probably dealt with it. Differently, if I was older, 
So, but Paul, you're asking basically like is his, his temperament, Brian's temperament, would it have changed when he was younger? When yeah. he's like sort of thrown a punch? Do you know what I mean? As you know, when now we, you were in your thirties and that happened, you like calm down. Is that the sort of route you mean? Mm. No, I think it'd have been the other way. The other way. Oh, okay. I wow. think um, I, you know, I, I I always got on with everybody, but there was you know there was times where I let things go. But I think that if I sat and kind of looked at the situation, I would have dealt with it differently. And and the thing is, because I was so calm, uh, a lot of the time. You know, people would misread that, but you know, <laughs> yeah, different. Throwing out for you, just uh, end of the show kind of thing. We we ask some random questions. First thing that comes into your head, just answer for me. So, the best manager you worked under? Oh no, <laughs> no, that's not an easy question. I'll tell you why. Because there's different managers are good for different things. All right. So, if you say who got the best out of me at the time, I'd say Dave Bassett. Dave Bassett, okay. Um, Gigs or Overmars, who was the better player? Oh, very tough. Um, I'd say Gigs. <laughs> How many... Um, so, oh, where we go? Um, Arsene Wenger or George Graham? Who was the Arsene better manager? Okay. Oh, okay. That's no, straight away. Straight away. Uh, steak or fish? Both. <laughs> Nineties uh, or noughties? Nineties, nineties. Okay, man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, best goal you scored? At which club? Any club in your career? Got to be that Benfica one against Porto, surely. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> scored a good goal for Leeds against Tottenham. Scored a good goal for Sheffield United against Liverpool. Yeah, different, different eras. Best dressing room you was in? For banter? Yeah. I'd say tied with Leeds and Leicester. Leeds first time around, but Leicester, Leicester was hilarious. Best strike partner? Oh, God. Uh, um, again, tough one because in terms of production, Tony Agana. And last question. Uh, uh, in terms of any change to your career, if you could make any change to your career and go back and change it, would you make any? And if so, what would it be? I think I would have been, yeah, I would have definitely have been, I'd have believed in myself more. Fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate yeah. your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Brian. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.